last week uh, somebody had come in from out of state and after the service they caught me they were in the first service and after the service they caught me and they said so you got up and announced that you were going to preach a, t- a sermon entitled Jesus in Exodus and uh, and I thought to myself boring and uh, then they said you know it just landed exactly where they were in their life it just it it helped them in a specific area and so if you think Jesus in Exodus is boring, why do you hear Jesus in Leviticus today? Wow. You know, I'm fascinated and I'm captivated right now by the power of what God's wanting to reveal in his word. And, um, and I can honestly say to you, I have looked forward to this message more than I remember looking forward to a message. I am stoked about Jesus in Leviticus. It is just wild what God wants to reveal and reverse in our thinking in so many ways. So, so let, let me just rehearse something very important that we all understand. Our focus right now is to turn the page, pray attention. Uh, people are hashtagging both, so we're just going to uh, adopt both of those. And we've got a lot of people that are posting, and I appreciate it. We've got kind of a collage of pictures that we're seeing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, some of that, and if you'll pop that up, we'll be able to see uh, just people that are posting where they're praying. There's their Bible, uh, you know, different things, prayer spots and so on, cup of coffee there, roll in prayer place. And, and so as you see those pictures, I just want to say, if you're not yet doing this, then please start. And I'll give you a little explanation why, but let me just kind of talk with you about what they're doing in those places. They're, we're, we're in this journey to turn the page, get an old-fashioned Bible uh, and and. Just turn the page. Start in Genesis. This is so important to me, and this is why. It's something that I asked Tracy and I asked our girls to do a few years ago. And, um, you know, they were like 12, 13 years old. And, and it's just, it caught on. I don't know how to explain it, but I want my kids to read the Bible, don't you? I mean, it'd be great for them to read the Bible. And so we just said, look, just start in Genesis, make a date at the top, and every day turn the page. And they've finished the Bible and are now on doing their second one, and they're 13 and 15. And so by the time they're 20, they're going to have a few of these. But they're just they're tremendous heirlooms for us, and it's a, a progression that we can kind of get in our heads. So please do this if you've not started. I really think it will be helpful, and I think this will help you uh, to understand why. Well, I saw this picture. In fact, Nicole shared it with me from this World War II vet, and he was uh, in World War II. That was his Bible that he had. And when I looked at that, I just thought, if, if that were your grandfather, how many of you would love to hold that treasure that he's holding in his hand? Can I just see? That would be a tremendous treasure. I mean, you would, that would mean more to you than money could buy, right? And, and this is my point. And, and there, again, there are the hashtags. When you're posting this, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, whatever your social media preference is, hashtag so we can find them, pray attention and turn the page, and encourage others to do the same. But... But the reason why this is such an uh, uh, important thing for us to understand, and I'll just make this phrase, uh, this expression, of it, you will never leave a legacy until you first live a legacy. Will you say that with me? You can put the picture down, take that down. Uh, look up this way and say it with me. You will never leave a legacy until you first live a legacy. Let's say it one more time so we get this. You will never leave a legacy until you first live a legacy. So this is just a tremendous heirloom that your children, your children's children, generations that you'll never see, generations that I'll never meet, can be mentored by the legacy of my faith 
if I will leave them just a treasure. I mean, it's not like this is a rule. It's just a great idea. It's really something I think will be helpful for us and our children, our children's children. We're going to see the value of that, especially in just two weeks as we get into where Jesus is revealed in the book of Deuteronomy. It's fantastic as I'm looking at this. I have a brand new love for his word. Take the time to pray, okay? You have no idea what deposits God will make in you in the morning time as you start to pray that will sustain you through the storm that you might be facing later that day. Don't cut yourself short. And so take the time just to press in, spend a little bit of time with the Lord, set your alarm just a little bit early. I, I got a call Friday from somebody, uh, he actually pastor uh, a church that we're connected with, nowhere around here, and he just began to share with me some of the struggle that he was having. And I just said to him, let's align our time zones and let's get up extra early on, on Saturday and just pray and press into God together. And, and we did that, and it was so meaningful. And I just think, you know, honestly, it it didn't take that much, but we made that connection and just pressed in. Sometimes pressing in and just praying, just pressing in a little bit more from where we've been opens up so much in our lives. So we want to continue in this focus where Jesus clearly reveals in John 5, 39, the scriptures testify about me. The Bible speaks of me. The Bible speaks of Jesus. Genesis speaks of Jesus. We've seen that. Exodus speaks of Jesus. Last week we saw that. Today, Leviticus speaks of Jesus. Now, remember, Genesis was about the fall of humanity. It all began there, the fall of humanity. And immediately, in God's mercy and redemption, he, he jumps into action and initiates a plan, selects an individual, reveals his promise, and starts producing a lineage that would bring about the Messiah. That's what the book of Genesis is all about. And then uh, and we, we've, we've looked into this very specifically where Jesus was revealed and all that. Then we saw in Exodus how God delivered the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt. We understood now and explained how they got there and then why they lost favor. And God not only brought them out of Egypt, but he established them. He enriched them because in the book of Exodus, that's where God gives them his word, his commands. He gives them instructions and prescriptions for worship, if you will. And he's trying to enrich their lives. How I many you know God just doesn't just want to bring you out. He wants to establish you in the earth. I mean, no, God doesn't just want to bring you out of bondage. He wants to establish you in the earth. And he wants to establish other people through your established life where you're enriched by the kingdom of God and the word of God and the presence of God and the gathering of God and the worship of God. This is not some consumer-driven product that we're trying to create and present so that we attract people to come in and be consumers. We are the church, and we will worship our God, and we will lift up this risen king, and people will come and gather and be a part of the mighty army of God that the kingdom of God will expand in the earth. That's the purpose of God. And the world today has diluted this, and the church has largely lost her identity in many ways, and the church is suffering from a major identity crisis in our seeker-sensitive world. And I'm not casting stones at anybody. I'm simply saying God is bringing this to the head where we might begin to understand a little bit more. We've not understood. We're just trying to get a foothold in this and, and climb a little higher in what God's called us to. And may all of the pastors and all of the churches and all of the leaders and all of the elders have wisdom that the church might emerge in this hour and be awakened by the call of God in Jesus' mighty name. So in, in Leviticus, we're going to see this today. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting take. It's, it's the book, it's like the last book Christians want to study. But it's the first book that Jewish children study. And you're going to understand why today. But Leviticus is just so imperative for us uh, in, to reveal what God was trying to establish. Now, he's, first he's initiated the redemptive plan, then he's drawn them out to enrich them, and then we see something going on in the book of Leviticus. So let's understand Leviticus. 
Leviticus is born out of the idea of the Levites. Hence the name of the book, Leviticus. And so you've got the Levite priests that are being established in the book of Leviticus. And that's really what this book is about. It's Levitical laws. It's dietary laws. It's, I mean, all kinds of stuff. When you, when you look at this, you're just kind of thinking, man, I'm not even sure any of this makes any sense whatsoever. And, and let me just say, this was one of the conversations we had with our girls. When you start turning the page and reading your Bible, how many of you have read your Bible before and you did not understand what you read? Can I just see? Hold up your hand if that's you. Okay, look around. Because that's all of us, okay? Uh, there are times you're going to read stuff, and I'm going to point out one thing today that I'll guarantee you've read and you've never understood because it's just not easy to understand. But, but listen very carefully. This is not a self-helps, self-motivated uh, structure that Jesus set into place. The church is not about self-helps and self-motivation where you coach yourself up and you, you get all this, you know, coached information in your brain. It's not always going to make sense to your brain. You are not a human being having a human experience, a spiritual experience. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. And you need to understand that. Who in this room is going to live forever? Everybody. Because we're spiritual beings. Right now we're having a human experience. Everybody on the planet is going to live forever. And the decisions that we make now determine our eternity. It's so important that we are making decisions in light of the eternal nature of who we are. So when you're reading, if it's not making sense, don't worry about it. If you have time to engage and study and try and figure some of it out, go for it. But just understand, you're nourishing your spirit with the Word of God that's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it's awakening something in you. Even if your brain doesn't comprehend it, and even if your mind doesn't understand it, your spirit is growing strong, and you must nourish your spirit to be strong warriors in the kingdom of God. And that's what God has called us to do. So this, this expression in Leviticus, uh, some of it you know, you're going to read, it's just like, wow, that's kind of wild. Some of it's like really wild. But it's just nourishing as you progress through this, so continue as you walk this out. I did have someone ask, are we supposed to be reading every book that you're preaching on every week? More power to you. My goal for you is to turn the page, okay? That means you're going to be reading for a while before you get through the book. I'll be finished with this season before that. But these will all be online, and when you go to study a book, you can go back and listen to the message about that book, and it'll be helpful in the overall context of Scripture. So Jesus is typified in Leviticus, or Jesus is revealed in Leviticus. The type of Christ is just where there's a typification. He shows up in amazing ways throughout Scripture. He shows up in the sacrifices, because he's the sacrificial lamb of the world. He shows up in the offerings, because he was offered and given God's only son. He shows up in the festivals, because Jesus is a party animal. You might not believe that. You might not understand that. But I'm just tell you right now, Jesus loves to partay, okay? There's a partay going on in your heart, and you're inclined toward the party. It wasn't the world's idea. It's not the devil's idea. Anybody hear that song, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? It's like yesteryear, a long time ago. Uh, and, but, you know, it's just like the church has resolved and relinquished so much. And come on, God is the God of festivals and feasts and parties. And, and heaven's going to be this eternal celebration. It's not going to be boring with a bunch of naked babies flying around as angels. Okay, that's not what angels are, so don't get confused. And so the festivals reveal. The high priest obviously reveals Jesus. He is our high priest. But the thing I want to focus on first as we get into this with a little bit of detail, because I'm obviously having to pick some specifics to get into detail, Jesus is the scapegoat. 
there are these terms we use all the time that we don't even realize are from the Bible. You, you probably would reconcile in your mind, scapegoat actually came from the Bible. How many of you ever said, by the skin of his teeth? You ever heard that phrase, right? That's in the book of Job. And so, the little foxes spoil the vine. Anybody ever heard that? That's in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so, all these phrases and sayings, are they show up in Scripture. Well, scapegoat is one of those. And the scapegoat, symbolically, uh, the scapegoat literally took upon itself the sins of all Israel and was sent out into the wilderness. It's interesting when you see all of these things, but, but here's the thing I just want to kind of tie in. In Exodus, Jesus was revealed as an animal in the Passover feast. What was that animal? Here's your pop quiz question. L- the lamb, okay? And so the lamb. Last week we looked at how Jesus was revealed in the lamb. This week we're looking at how Jesus is revealed in the goat. So Jesus is the lamb in Exodus, and Jesus is the goat in Leviticus. Maybe you've read in Matthew 25 where the Bible talks about how there'll be a separation one day, right? And the separation, God is going to himself separate the lambs from the goats. And so there's, a, there's an antithesis relationship here when we see the lambs and the goats. But clearly, and that was your first blank if you got that, in Leviticus, we see Jesus revealed in the goat. So, why a goat? The lamb we understand, right? I mean, that makes sense. Why a goat? How does Jesus show up as a goat? So, so I want to do it this way. Ask you a quick question. Raise your, this is a very simple question, okay? Don't overcomplicate this. Yes or no. Raise your hand if you're righteous. Okay? Like some of you are sitting there and, and thinking, what? That's kind of arrogant of those few people to raise their hand, right? I mean, how, do, how can you claim righteous? And I want to just point out, this is so powerful. We've been told so many things that are utterly incomplete about doctrine and the Bible and our relationship with the Lord. So many things that are incomplete. We've been told Jesus died for our sins. That is horribly incomplete. It's not that it's uh, inaccurate in its essence of beginnings. It's just that it's incomplete and doesn't paint the true picture, the whole picture. Jesus didn't merely die for our sins. I want you to see what Jesus did with our sins. And we find this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And it says, God who made him who had no sin. This is Jesus. Jesus who had no sin was made by God to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, now let's understand. And that is an amen point, okay? One person, amen. Let's let's all say that. This is huge. This is like centerpiece of the universe when we're looking at what's going on in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin didn't merely die for our sin. He became our sin and died on our behalf. You get that? I mean, that's profound. So he, the Bible actually says, he didn't just die for your sins, he became your sins. And I, I know, I'm going to go into some theological conjecture here, okay? I like to let you know when I'm kind of toying with some ideas that aren't necessarily clearly spelled out in Scripture. But I believe that the criminals in Jesus' day were hurled back on the cross and, and forced with their Roman soldiers' knees on their arms. And I believe that they were fighting and wailing when they were pounding those stakes through their, those nails 
nails through their wrists and through their feet. I believe they were writhing and fighting. I, I, I don't know from any standpoint of a Bible verse, but just understanding the, the nature of this sacrificial lamb, I suspect that Jesus was thrown back on a cross. And I suspect that the soldiers were surprised to see that he was not fighting and arguing. I suspect Jesus willingly, lovingly, compassionately, sacrificially stretched his arm out and said, your will be done, Father. And I believe when that thing went through his wrist, I believe it hurt like nobody can imagine. Because as you study this out and look at how a crucifixion takes place and the nerve circuitry there that actually they pinpoint, it's a horrible, horrible death. And I believe Jesus cried in anguish. And I believe he screamed in anguish. And I believe to even greater dismay, he then reached his arm over and put the other arm over saying, I love you this much. I believe he gave himself completely to be the sacrificial lamb. And he did that because he was sin. He didn't die for your sin. He became your sin and gave himself to death so that your sin would die. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the antithesis of the lamb revealed as the goat who became sin. It's a profound truth, isn't it? And here's where the confusion comes in. In the church, it's like we reduce everything down to these little nuggets and points and, and, and we give incomplete portions of Scripture because we want to try and encourage everybody and keep everybody smiling and happy and coming back. After all, people don't give if they don't come to church. And so we got to make our budget and so we don't want to be offensive. And let me just say, Jesus is offensive from time to time. He is offensive from time to time. He kicks over tables sometimes. He calls to order. He looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. There are some conversations that you and I need to have that might run some people off. But our goal here is not to build an empire. Our goal here is to make disciples. So I want to say to you, let's grow up and be the people God's called us to be. Come on, shout with me today. So God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became a goat. He was the, the sacrificial lamb who became a goat. And we see this typified in Scripture in a fantastic way. Here's the confusion. Here's the element of confusion. Raise your hand. Very simple question. Raise your hand if you're good. You're scared, aren't you? What's the right answer? Raise your hand if you're righteous, and it's like, I should have raised my hand. Raise your hand if you're good. I don't know if I should. Would you agree with me? People are more inclined to agree on a level of goodness than they are on the righteousness that God actually says of them. Here's the problem, and it makes a great uh, palette for religion to come lie down and take a nap in your life, okay? Uh, it's just such an important thing that we get this and understand it, but the idea of goodness breeds an unhealthy perspective of entitlement. The idea of goodness, thank you for not raising your hand, you're not good. We're sinners saved by grace, desperate need of a Savior. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 18, verse 19, no one is good. No one is good but God alone. Only goodness is discovered in God. Now, 
understand this because the idea of if I'm just better than most people, then God loves me more and blesses me more than most people is born out of the erroneous idea of goodness. And a lot of theology is built on such nonsense and a lot of teaching, training, and preaching that's attracting people in. Uh, you know, it's being really welcomed into our society. And, and we, that, that just rubs Jesus wrong, I believe. He does not like when things are skewed off. So we want to figure this out with a little more clarity to understand more of what he desires. The, the righteousness of God is something nobody can achieve. Would you agree? But it's something everybody has achieved because it has nothing to do with your goodness. It has to do with Jesus' death. It's amazing. This, this, is, this is where it really lands. Jesus did not die to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people live. We're alive. Awakened to the purposes of God. Profoundly awakened to what God desires for us to have and what God, God desires for us to do. So, don't be confused. There are benefits to goodness. Okay, there are benefits, to, and, and that's why when we see in the book of Leviticus, Jesus revealed as a goat, righteousness prevailing, then we see all these rules. I mean, Jesus isn't about rules, is he? Why are there so many then? And, and let's, let's understand this. Would you agree with me? There's somebody in this room who is more good, if I say grammatically correct, gooder, than anybody else in the room, and it's not me. But there is one person, and God knows who this is, right? They're, they're better behaved than, than anybody else in the room. And there's one person who is not as good as, and this might be me, as everybody else in the room. Okay? You, you do understand. There are levels of goodness. And this is, this is kind of where we need to, to land with this. Goodness has nothing to do with your position in Christ. Righteousness has to do with your position in Christ. Goodness has to do with your possession in this world. If I am good to my wife, how many know she's going to be good to me? Right? If I'm good to my kids... They're going to be kids, but they'll be good to me. <laughs> and, and this is where we need to understand and recognize, I'm not talking about your, posi your position is established in Christ by righteousness. But the thing that we need to get is the, the, the stipulations, the, the rules, the things that are you know, laid out in the book of Leviticus. This was the first book studied by Hebrew children. When the parents were raising their children in the Word, in the Law, in the Torah, when they would go to the Pentateuch, they'd go to these first five books of the Bible, and Leviticus is the starting point for children. This is like the last book for adults. Why was it the first book for children? Because it dealt with these good principles, and all of us need the good principles of God at work in our life. Not be, it's very important, not because it earns me something from God, but because it positions me for more effective living. 
Jesus is revealed as the goat in the book of Leviticus with all the rules because Jesus became sin so that you and I could become righteous and get our position established and then get into a place where all the rules, all the things that God says do and don't do this, and Leviticus is chocked full of them. There's something in there to help you. God's trying to help us live from a more complete perspective. So, you know, you see all these rules about diet. How many of you know your diet affects your life? Absolutely. Uh, there's all these rules about sacrifices, all these behavioral rules. And, and when I say the word rules or when I say the word boundaries, what comes to your mind? Boundaries. You know, what are those? I mean, you immediately think uh, as parents of the children. And, and how many of you know boundaries kind of go like this? Okay, you're very young, and you need these boundaries. And then as they get a little older, okay, you're a little older, and you need these boundaries. Then they get a little older, and okay, you're a little older, and you need these boundaries. Listen, parents, don't go like this. Okay, you need boundaries. Okay. There is a process of enlarging the borders, okay? Process of enlarging the boundaries. And I just have to say, Tracy has asked something of me that I am very uncomfortable with. Uh, the Like a Girl Conference. It's coming just a couple of weeks. Primarily, we're wanting to bring an emphasis to help the next generation in our church family. And, and anybody that you know, it's just going to be totally catered to minister to this next, these next generation girls. And in addition, we understand that you cannot help kids if you don't help parents, mentors in their life. Would you agree with that? And so in addition to the, the stuff that we got planned, and man, I'm excited about what's planned. Tracy shared, uh, she and Chrissy and the crew, the team's been meeting and preparing all this, and there's some stuff that nobody knows about, but I'm like way excited. My kids are going to get to be in this, and so I totally recommend you pop by and, and sign up for this coming in just a few weeks, and you'll be blessed by it, not only your kids, but also the thing that, uh, that I've agreed to because she wanted somebody else to speak and do this parenting workshop. Because while the kids are doing some ministry actually with Chrissy, then, then there's going to be a parenting emphasis going on. For anybody that wants to parent or mentor next generation, this is going to be helpful for you. And it's primarily uh, chicks, obviously, because it's like a girl conference. And so it's a little bit weird when she said, well, I couldn't get the person I wanted to speak. Uh, how about if you speak? <laughs> well, there are a whole lot of emotions that come with that. Like, oh, yeah, I'm your second best, huh? First emotion I had to work through. You know, we all have our dysfunction. And so uh, then I sort through that, and, I, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I can do this. How many of you have met Aunt Loretta? Okay, if you don't know who that is, you're not going to, okay? Because I'm not going to do that. But I am going to take a, an approach in, in that parenting workshop because I've just been thinking, you know, I don't want to just give a bunch of information. But I actually started thinking, over the years, Tracy and I have watched, there are a few families that we've seen who have raised their kids through the stages of life and they love Jesus and they love their family and they love the church. How many of you want your kids to love Jesus, love the family, and love the church? How many of you, that's your goal, right? I mean, those are the three things we want to see happen. And so we've watched, and there are five families that I picked, and, and you know, we've got lots of friends, different places, people leading different works, and, and, and so we didn't just localize this. And I mean, I've been contacting them, and I've been inviting, and I said, look, I've been asked to speak at this chick deal, and I'm a dude, and so I'm you know, I want to make sure I'm doing a good job, and I just need your input. Could you give me the five things that you really feel like helped you, it, it, you know, things that you did? And, and so I got this information, and you're never going to guess what I found. 
It's like the book of Leviticus. It's boundaries. And it's boundaries like this. And as they get older, it's boundaries like this. And as they get older, it's boundaries like this. And in that workshop, I'm going to talk about what those specific boundaries are. But I just want to point out for you, the book of Leviticus is a healthy, healthy approach to boundaries. And, and very important phrase, God never gives us rules to keep life from us. God doesn't give us rules to keep us from enjoying life. That's the error of the world's thinking today. Would you agree? I'm going to play out the world's thinking. I'm going to, I'm going to get a little over the line here, but I'll forewarn you, okay? Uh, the world's thinking, because I'm just going to tell you as a dude, growing up when I was a kid, it was like the idea, and, and even more so today, with accessibility of internet and so on, the idea in a boy's mind growing up is that he wants to be good in bed when he gets married. He wants to be able to perform sexually, and, and kids are, you know, they get this idea, I, I don't want to like be a nerd. I don't really want to, you know, not know how to do anything, and so I want to be really good to perform in bed really well. Let's play that out, because it violates something of Scripture. Agreed? It violates something of Scripture. So let's play that out. So the, 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 the kid, you know, grows and, and involved with different partners, and, and then on the wedding night, it's like wedding, the next morning after the wedding night, how many women in the history of the world rolled over and looked at their husband and said, you are amazing. Last night rocked my world, and I want to say thank you to you, and I want the names and addresses to all those girls who helped you be so amazing last night so I can send them thank you cards and thank them myself for making you so amazing for me. In the history of the world, that has happened zero times, never. Because God gives us boundaries to actually give us life. I heard of a guy doing a, a college paper, and he's standing in front of a, a class, and, and he said, uh, you know, I'm a virgin, and people started laughing. And he did his whole paper on virginity and why it was important to wait. And, and he wasn't even taking it from a Christian standpoint as much as he was taking it from a principled standpoint. And, and finally, a guy at the end of his speech, he took questions. And this guy in the back, who was real arrogant, raised his hand. He said, man, if you marry some girl, how are you going to know if she's any good in bed at all? And his response was profound. Well, if I don't have anybody to judge her by, how will I not? How many of you think God knows what he's talking about in Scripture? So there's several things that we see, and, and sexuality is one of those things we see clearly in this. Uh, anybody here love a roaring fireplace? Can I just see you love a fireplace? Logs burning, right? It's nice. You sit in the living room. We went to a cabin not too long ago, stayed in the cabin, lit the fire, and it was really uh, awesome and, and, uh, and you know, just great to sit around in the fire. You know, it's mesmerizing, isn't it? Isn't it? You just kind of look at the fire, and you just kind of... You're lost in the flames. And, you know, it's just amazing. But you take one of those burning logs out of the proper confines and boundaries of the fireplace and put it in the middle of your house, and you've got problems. See, there are good things that God desires for us to possess and have and enjoy and experience and experiment with, but he gives us boundaries. And the boundaries are there to sustain our lives, not to take anything from us, but to actually contribute and deposit something within us. 
The book of Leviticus is about all these boundaries and all these rules and all this stuff. And you read this, it's just like, God's a prude. Let me say, God's not a prude. God loves you and he wants the very best for you and he wants to help you understand that the decisions that you're making in your life right now are affecting the rest of your life and your children and your children's children. And let's live this life with an enriched perspective that we derive from God's word because we know God's smarter than we are. Can I get a witness that God is smarter than any of the rest of us in the room? So, uh, a great analogy of this, you go across bridges every day, and you don't have to slow down on bridges. I've got an afternoon appointment to take my daughter, I'm going to invite my other daughter, I guess I'm doing that right now, to go for a driving lesson, and I have found a, a housing development area that has no houses, no people and you kind of have to weave through the rocks to get in the housing development area. I'm not sure if it's legal, uh, so don't, don't tell me if it is illegal that way. I'm not sinning. Uh, but, but we're going to go, and, and we're going to take the girls where there are no cars, and, and we're going to have driving lessons today. And here's the thing about driving. How many know you start out real slow and, and, and you know, kind of go easy, and then you start getting confident? And, and there comes a point where, like, you drive across bridges, and you don't even think about anything. How many of you think nothing about going across bridges? We do it all the time. Because there are rails and because there are lines. Because there are boundaries. Remove those boundaries that fast you are no longer zipping across that. You are slowing to a creep, crawl. Don't want to get too close to this guy. Oh, there's an edge over there. But the rails and the lines will give you life. The boundaries will give you life. The rules will give you life. You want to be an enriched man or woman? Then you understand the rules and the boundaries that God has positioned for us in his word. I wish I had an old-fashioned leather Bible so I could thump on it a little bit while I'm preaching today because I'm afraid I'll break my iPhone. But let me just say, God wants you to have life. Woo! Real life. Jude chapter 1, verse 21 says, Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Isn't that beautiful? Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Wait patiently for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy is going to give you. He really cares about us. We had a young man that, amen, was living with us. And... Uh, He's from Mexico, and he, he didn't speak a lot of English, couldn't read English, obviously, and we're all in the front, and we had another, another guy that was living with us. We've taken in some people over the years, and, uh, and Randy was living with us in Salvador. Randy in Salvador. Randy's like 6'4", 280, big football player. When he moved in, we actually bought a deep freeze. No kidding. Um, we knew we were going to need it. And so then Salvador's over, and Salvador goes back into the bathroom. He's going to brush his teeth, and while he's back there, all we hear is, ah, brother, he called Randy brother, brother, bad, bad, very bad. And so we're like, oh, no, bad, bad, very bad. We go running back to the bathroom, and he's standing over the toilet with his toothpaste, toothbrush in his hand, like foam, like, you know, like a rabid dog, you know, spitting in the, and, and he just said, bad, bad, very bad. And so, you know, I'm just like, what? And I, I grabbed the toothpaste out of his hand. It was not toothpaste, as you have already surmised. It was Randy's jock itch cream. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what it's like to brush your teeth with jock itch cream, but I'm pretty sure it's bad, bad, very bad. That's what I think. <laughs> if only he had read 
the directions. Would you hold your Bible up? you have your Bible? If only we would read the directions. God doesn't want you to have experiences in life that are bad, bad, very bad. I mean, I just got to tell you, our dog needs therapy. He, I, I assume that when he was a puppy, somebody in the country dropped him off and drove off, and he's probably chasing the car, you know, and then left out in the cold, and, and somebody found him and took him to a rescue place. That's my assumption, because he's got these serious, I, I didn't even know dogs could have such separation anxiety issues, and, and so like we leave the house, and he just goes ballistic, and like last night, again, we're watching a movie, and if there's ever a time where the movie gets emotional or the music starts to play, then the dog goes crazy. He's like jumping up, spinning around, and he's like scared, you know? He could never watch horror flicks. It's a good thing we're not into that, or he would like have a heart attack. But he's got these issues, and, and when we leave the house, he like chews everything up. He's dug carpets up on multiple occasions until finally we just had to say, the dog is dumb. He doesn't get it, okay? And we had to put him in a kennel. And I hate it. Just to be honest with you, I hate it. When we, he's right now sitting in a kennel. We got a big one. Like we got a kennel for the size of a Labrador Retriever or something. I mean, it's big. We can all, as a family, get in there. Uh, but he's in the box right now. And I hate it. I want him to, like, go through the whole house. I want him right now to be cuddling up on the blanket, you know? Oh, no. We got to keep him confined in the kennel. Why? Because we can't trust him. And I just wonder how many of us in this room, God's having to confine us in certain parameters and not release us to the next level of the things he's wanting for our lives where we would roam freely in the goodness of God because he can't trust us with these few parameters. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. How many of you here right now, you know I've been talking to you. There are areas in your life you know need to be addressed. Just hold up your hand. Just hold them up there. All, like, don't put them back down. Just for a moment, I want us to see. Lots of us in the room. Lord, I know that you want to address things within us, not because you're prude, not because you don't want us to have life, but because you want every one of us to be the priestly people that you have called us to be. The worship leaders and the priests that the Levites were. You want us to be effective. And so I just pray that right now, Lord, you'd reach into some of the mechanisms of our hearts and of our lives and you would help us to identify those things. To submit those things and surrender those things more completely. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus name. Just just if you would for a moment, just with your eyes closed, I want to ask if you're here. All this begins not with a bunch of rules to have an enriched life. It begins in a relationship with Jesus so that we then step into a position of righteousness. And out of that righteousness then we move into a place of enriched lives. But if you're here and you say, I'm not where I need to be in my, in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Without anybody looking around, if that's you, just slip up your hand, get my attention. I just want to pray for you. Anybody here? Thank you. I, I just don't know that I'm where I need to be. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. In my relationship with Christ. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? None of us have this all figured out. We're all just trying to find our way. 
Boy, sure a lot, lot easier when we're awakened by a Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's all pray together on behalf of these who've lifted their hands. And I want to ask all of us, say this out loud. Just say this with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, you came, you lived, you died, but you're alive. You're the Savior of the world. I really need you as my personal Savior. Be Lord of my life. Teach me your ways that I might walk in righteousness and that I might understand the principles that will truly enrich my life and establish a legacy that will honor God and dignify others. In Jesus' name.